Hey everybody, happy Mother's Day to you. My name is Chris McDaniel, the lead pastor here at Trinity, and it's good to gather together virtually. And what a gift it was to hear from Laura and Joe Hostetler. I am so thankful for the work of God in their lives. And today is just one of those days that I think for many of us, maybe coming out of uh, a year or more of pandemic, uh, you might be having an opportunity to reconnect with family and friends today and do some celebrating. And I just want us to celebrate. Part of the Easter season is actually looking for the goodness of life. So if you have a mama today, give her a call or go visit. I hope that there are some hugs and some barbecue cooked and eaten. The, the celebration should be real. And we also acknowledge that for some of you, maybe today's a hard day. Maybe you've lost a mom or you're not enjoying that relationship you long for with, with her. And we just want you to know today that if that's you, we're, we're praying for you and the Lord loves you. It's good to be in Easter. And I pray that you would see and receive what God has for you today. I'm going to read a passage from Revelation 7. And today we're actually going to focus on heaven. And I'm really excited about this passage and what the Lord may be showing us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 7. I'll start reading in verse 9. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. And then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your wisdom today to think about heaven God, we've spent some time thinking about what's going to come after heaven, about the resurrection during this Easter season. Well, today, we pray that you would help us to think clear and true thoughts about what it means and what happens when we are separated from our body in this world prior to the resurrection. Help us, God, to think and to receive and maybe even hope for those who we have lost who are with you now, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. This passage, like so many in the book of Revelation, is so imaginative. There, there's so much going on here that it's frankly hard for us to wrap our hearts or our minds around it. So what I'm going to do for the next few moments is just highlight a couple of things that I think are worthy of our consideration, maybe some sort of points of connection in this text that will help us to, as I prayed a few moments ago, think true thoughts about where our story's headed, what it means to be with the Lord in heaven when we die. So here's the first thing. John the Beloved, this 
deep, wonderful friend of Jesus, he sees a multi-ethnic multitude in heaven wearing white robes and waving palm branches. And as I just t- this week have been trying to think about what this moment in Revelation 7-9 would, would have really looked like, it's this picture of people from all over the world who have all trusted in God in their own context, and now they are together with God in heaven in this picture of a kind of massive throng of multi-ethnic worshipers is unbelievably beautiful for me. It's a, it's a reversal of Babel, if you know that story in the Old Testament where people with a singular agenda to kind of create a structure that would help them become up or ascend up to be like God. God confused them in their languages and their cultures and they couldn't get it done. This is a reversal of that. And there's so much division in our world today I remember hearing somebody say that the most segregated hour in America is 10 a.m. on Sunday. We don't know how to worship across these lines. So often we have so much that divides us and so much confusion or fear of the other or people who don't know how to handle difference. And we're all in one way or another guilty of this um, insecurity. Well, here we see where our story's headed. Our story's headed toward a beautiful merging of difference. And I believe that we have an opportunity here and now in this world, in this land, as Easter people to say, what does it look like for us to move across lines of difference? What does it look like for us to anticipate Revelation 7-9, the beauty of a multi-ethnic worship experience where cultures come together, where people who love God come together, and we're able to see that, that worship unites us. I just want to say this to you. As an Easter person, worship unites you across political divides, racial divides, socioeconomic divides. Worship unites us. Our desire to give God what is due him actually should bring us closer and closer together. Well, here's what I love about this multi-ethnic group of people. Two things we're told about them. They are wearing white robes and they are waving palm branches. The white robes speak to this purification that these who have died are, are clean, that God has actually resolved all of the sin and all the brokenness and they're clean before God. They have nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of. They're, they're pure with God. He's healed them. But they're also waving white, uh, waving palm branches. And the idea of a palm branch kind of takes us back right to Palm Sunday, this idea that people were jubilant. But what we know about Palm Sunday is that that same crowd who waved the palm branches, they turned on Jesus later. Well, here, their celebration and joy is a forever celebration. They will not be fickle. One of the things I hate the most about myself One of the things that that grieves me about myself is my fickle nature, and that's probably true for you. Well, what we see here about heaven, for those of us when we get there, is that there will be a kind of abiding joy in addition to being holy, clean. We'll wear white robes. We'll hold palm branches. There's a sense of welcoming Jesus and loving him with joy and celebration. And I think there's an invitation for us even here and now to, to during the Easter season to celebrate to move toward joy. I think maybe we need that more than ever. What we see is that this throng, they, they cry out. Um, they're, they're more than singing. They're, they're crying out, which I think is something so beautiful. And as they're crying out, a question is asked. One of the elders says, who are these who are robed in white? And where have they come from? 
And the elder knows the answer. And so John wisely says, well, I think you know the answer to that question. And he gives them the answer. And that leads us to the second movement in this passage that I want to highlight to you. The elder says, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. I want us to stop and think about this for a moment because it's really important that we get this right. There's actually been a lot of really bad teaching engaged in the church about what that sentence means of those who've come out of the great ordeal. Maybe you grew up in a part of the church where you read the left behind novels and you thought, well, those who've come out of the great ordeal, it's like a future tribulation of something that would happen after a rapture. There's been a lot of um, upside down thinking, frankly, that isn't as consistent with what was happening in the book of Revelation throughout church history. So we've got to get this right. The vast majority of scholarship surrounding John's revelation says John's not speaking of a future end time tribulation here, but rather he's speaking about a contemporary event of suffering that Christians who would have been reading his revelation would have been enduring. People at the time of John's writing of the Revelation were enduring remarkable persecution. They were going through remarkably painful difficulty regarding persecution for their faith. And so the words in this passage that say they who have come out of the great ordeal, I believe the best way for you to understand those words is that at the time John was writing them, there was a present tense. They have come out. They have just come out of something. So what's he saying? He's speaking to Christians. So Christians would have been reading the Revelation who had recently lost beloved church members to persecution, who had seen them killed in front of their eyes. And he's speaking to them and he's saying, take heart, they are with the Lord. That even persecution and difficulty, even a pandemic, it's not the end of the story. What John is doing here is he's encouraging Christians to take heart as they face difficulty. Now, you may not be facing the same kind of persecution that these ancient Christians were, but we're all facing our own difficulties. The, the stuff in life that makes us want to lose heart, that makes us feel like, I don't know if I can endure this. There's stuff going on in my own life right now that have, that have made me ask the question, I don't know if I have what it takes to get through. I bet you're right there with me in some way or another. What the Lord is trying to say to John is you can move through things that are remarkably difficult because even if the worst happens, you will be with the Lord. And today I just want to say this to you. If you belong to Jesus, even death isn't something you should fear. I don't think we talk enough in the modern church, in the Western church about heaven. I, I think that there's been kind of an overcorrection that maybe, you know, my grandmother's church, that's all, it seemingly, that was all they talked about. I mean, every song was about, you know, the, the pearly gates and the streets of gold. And I think there's been an overcorrection in our, in our sophisticated age of Christianity to where we don't think enough about what happens after death. Well, here John, to an, a, a beleaguered group of people, to a, a group of people who'd suffered um, unspeakably and would continue to suffer for their faith, John says, even death is not the end of your story. And I just want to say the Lord is saying the same thing to you and me. Heaven is what awaits you if you belong to Jesus. Even if you belong to him imperfectly, as we all do. Even if you know your robes are not totally clean right now, they will be one day. Heaven is what waits for us. And I love the fact that John hears from one of the elders 
See those who are with God singing and crying out while their robes have been cleaned by blood. And y'all, there's a double meaning here. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. What Jesus has done for you as a Christian, and if you're not a Christian today, what he has done for you, hoping you would receive it, what he has done for you actually makes you clean. He has covered you in a way that is mysterious and powerful so that you don't have to hide, so that you don't have to be ashamed. But there's another meaning here. See, the picture of that throng that John saw Those people had been killed for their faith. And so there's the blood of Jesus and then there's the blood of the martyrs. They laid their life down. They had paid a price. See, Christians at the time that John writes these words had been martyred publicly in the Roman world for nearly 70 years. There'd been a 70-year extinction campaign. Nero fed them to wild animals in front of screaming crowds of people watching with jubilance and joy as if they would at a Braves game. They were killed for sport in the arenas. History has documented these killings quite well. You don't have to read the Bible to know that Christians were treated horribly. There were even parties where Christians were put on pikes and set aflame to illuminate gardens for people during the time of Nero. This was not an easy time to be Christian. And Rome had a very simple policy Renounce your faith or suffer the consequences. And many Christians, most Christians chose not to renounce their faith. And we have to ask the question and answer it. Why? Why were they willing to suffer so greatly so soon after Jesus? Because they had veracity. They had truth. They had credible evidence of the resurrection. And they were willing to stake their lives on it. And I think the Lord wants you and me to recognize that our faith today can be just as durable, that we can face trouble and navigate our way through it even if we feel deeply and desperately afraid and insecure because heaven waits for us. (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to navigate these shadowy places, places where things don't seem so clear, where things don't seem so hopeful, but heaven waits for you and me. We'll be with God. John tells us that these deceased Christians and all deceased Christians enjoy four things. And I want to share them with you because this is what heaven's like. The third movement in this passage is heaven is complete rest. And here are the four components of that rest. Peace. 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 Protection. We're told God will shelter us in heaven. That we won't be exposed to storm or cold or heat. We'll be sheltered. That we'll be provided for. We're told that God will lead us to water. He'll satisfy our hearts in heaven that we'll have no need. And finally, that we'll be healed. That all the aches, all the dirt, all the grime, all the shame... All the memory of hurt, it'll be healed. And we'll be able to look back at our lives with God and say, Lord, you have somehow made all that right. And so I want you to think about that for a moment. Your story and mine. 
is headed toward peace and protection and provision and restoration. Jesus in John 14 says this of heaven, in my father's house there are many rooms. He said, I go there to prepare a place for you. Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a place for you and for me. A place where you will rest. But the thing I love about John 14 is that when you read in the language, the word for in my father's house are many rooms, the word room means a temporary dwelling. A place where you will rest in anticipation of the resurrection. Heaven is going to be wonderful, but it's not the end. It in and of itself is a temporary resting place to prepare you for the resurrection. This Easter season, I think, is an opportunity for you and me to begin to wrap our hearts and our heads around the magnitude of the beauty of the story but I want to say this at the very end. The beauty of where your story is headed doesn't mean we feel great all the time now. We're meant to be consoled like those early Christians with what's going to happen to us as we trust in God. Here's some questions for reflection that I want to share with you. I want you to think about these. If you're in a group, it's a discussion opportunity. But if this is a time for you to be on your own, this is maybe an opportunity to journal. Number one, what does that multi-ethnic multitude say to you about the kingdom of God? What does it mean that every tribe and nation and people is worshiping? And how might we experience hope in that regard here and now in anticipation of heaven? Number two, how might a passage like this reframe our own understanding of our temporal suffering how, how does this teach me to face pain today like it did the Christians who would have first heard these words? And finally, I think this would be a great opportunity to reflect on what John says about the experience of those who are in heaven. So think about what peace and protection and provision and healing and restoration look like for you, what that'll feel like in heaven. Today, if you are a part of our church, there's an opportunity for you to support our mission. But if you're a guest, please just know that listening to this, everything is taken care of. We're just so thankful that you would choose to join us. If this is your home, you can go to our website and support our mission. Also communion. If you want to receive communion, now would be the time to do it. And if you want to come up, you can grab a communion kit during the week. But before we finish, I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer. So join me and pray these words with the boldness that Jesus would have us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Go in peace. I hope you're able to celebrate with friends and family today. We'll see you when we can see you. Amen.